Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hey, Nora. Hey, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hi, Nora. Hi. Hi, I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. A few weeks ago, um, we finished up our first season of the show. That's an important note because people keep asking, where's the show? What happened to the show? The first season's over. All those episodes are online where, wherever you found this one. And if you're new to our show because Ari Shapiro or Mandy Moore told you to listen to it, or maybe your mom or quite possibly my mom, welcome. And if you've been here since the beginning, thank you. This is not season two. Just want to be clear about that. We are working on season two. I promise you. Podcasts, it turns out, are a lot of work. So we are talking to a lot of people about their stories. These stories came to us through email, through Twitter DMs, through Facebook messages, which is wonderful. So we're talking to so many people and strategizing and writing and exercising three times a week and eating right and all of that stuff. So if this isn't season two, what is it? I consider it season 1.5, season two-ish. It's a chance for us to get to know each other a little bit better through interviews, stories, and tape from you, our listeners, because that's what you do. You send us your stories and your voices and your thoughts and your hopes and your dreams, and every single thing we get is appreciated so deeply. I can't even tell you, even though I'm a professional communicator, what are the words? I read them. I laugh. I cry. I read them again. So that gets us to something I wanted to talk about, something we've been noticing in all of these emails and voicemails and tweets. And it's about how we talk to each other and how we see our struggles and burdens in relationship to the struggles and burdens we hear about from other people or that we see in other people. More on that. We're getting into it after a super quick break. We are back. The idea for Terrible Things for Asking started in my inbox. Seriously, ever since I wrote about my husband Aaron having brain cancer and ever since the obituary that we wrote for him together went viral, ever since I published my book, which was about Aaron and brain cancer and love, I have had inboxes that are constantly full of stories. Now, if you don't know my story, here is the abridged version. My husband Aaron died of brain cancer right after I had a miscarriage and after my dad died of cancer. This was all in the span of a few weeks. So the stories I get are not just stories about brain cancer and dead husbands and miscarriages and dead dads, although I do get a lot of those, but they're stories about life and loss and suffering and shame and stories about old wounds and reopened scars and memories that haunt us at night. Hi. I guess the best place to start is I'm 31 years old and I'm an orphan. On June 14th, 2014, I discovered that my husband had been having an affair for the previous um, 10 months. The thing I can't let go of is my stepfather's ashes. 
He died in July, and they've been sitting in a bag in my living room since probably September. I know I need to do something with them, but I'm just not quite ready to let go of the only piece of him I have left. I um, struggle with OCD every day, every hour, every minute. Um, my big fear is that my three kids are going to die all at the same time, and I imagine it in my head, graphically um, happening. <sighs> just thinking about it, just just thinking about it puts me into a panic. My father has young onset Alzheimer's. I was a senior in high school, just 17 years old when he was diagnosed. My sister was 14. My dad was 50. He has no family history of this terrible disease. It just came without warning. We don't know how or why, but it's our reality. I am now 24. My dad is 56, and the disease is in its advanced stages. I'm just about to go to work at my service job at a grocery store, and I am depressed. I just wanted to share. Thanks so much for your time. What these stories all have in common is that they're special and unique and also completely universal. These terrible things are what help bind us together in the big, invisible quilt of human experience. We suffer, we struggle, we persevere. What they also have in common is this. They arrive in my inbox with a disclaimer. I have a story. You tell me. It doesn't compare to... Losing a husband, having cancer... Stillbirth. Rape. Rape. What she experienced. What she experienced. What he experienced. What he experienced. What you experienced. It doesn't compare. We have all said this, myself included, but why? What do we mean when we say this about the stories we carry? The ones that ache inside of us? The one you send to a total stranger on the internet? Do we mean it doesn't matter? As compared to what? And compared by whom exactly? There is no yardstick for suffering, and if there were, I would not want to use it anyway. The worst thing that happened to you is the worst thing that happened to you. And my suffering can't make yours any easier or any harder. The weight is relative. It's non-transferable. It's not converted from ounces to grams or inches to centimeters, Celsius to Fahrenheit. Also, (laughs) I... Does anyone know how to compare those two things? <laughs> to this day, if you give me the temperature in Celsius, I'm like, that sounds colder? I don't know. If it's heavy for you, it's heavy. If it's big for you, it's big. If it burns you, it's hot. This is a hard thing to wrestle with, especially when things affect us directly. And I'm going to give you an example here. Recently, in Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is where I live and work, A runner was struck and killed by a driver who seemed to be impaired. That is objectively sad. A man is dead. He was a friend and a brother and a son, and he had things to do and things to bring to this world, and boom, it's all gone. And I'm a runner. Every time I run, I see distracted drivers, and I yell stuff like, put your phone down while you're operating a death machine, which they don't think they hear because, again, they're looking at their phones. (laughs) I hold up a finger on my hand. I'm not going to tell you which one. 
is my pointer finger. I wag it like a shaming teacher. It's actually more effective than flipping someone off if you're looking for maximum impact with hand gestures. So a man is dead and it's this other man's fault and that other man is bad. The internet all puts him on trial and convicts him because he is the worst and he didn't pass a field sobriety test, even though he also didn't fail a breathalyzer. And then another article comes out. The driver, it turns out, has advanced brain cancer. He has glioblastoma, which is the kind of brain cancer my husband died from in 2014. It's the kind of brain cancer that Aaron thought was gone when he drove a car, had a seizure, and woke up in his car on the side of the road to a cop tapping at the window. Aaron couldn't really talk. He couldn't unlock the door. And if you saw him like that in a car on the side of the road, you would probably think he was drunk. Aaron was so ashamed and embarrassed by this incident. He could have killed somebody. He didn't, thank God, but he knew he could have killed somebody, and he knew it because there was a news story about his incident, and the internet made sure to tell him how awful he was, how reckless he was for driving and having brain cancer. He should have been arrested. He was stupid. So I'm reading all of these stories about that runner who died, about the man who hit him. And I know that where I could have been that runner, Aaron could have been the man who hit and killed him. That man didn't know that he had brain cancer when he was driving. But he knows it now. He knows that he killed someone. He knows that he's going to die. And to me, that is fucking sad too. Which confused some people when I posted, basically, that on Facebook. The comments that upset me were basically saying that because one man is dead, maybe the man who killed him deserves brain cancer, or maybe it makes his brain cancer less sad in some way. But not to me. I can be sad for the man who died, and I can be sad for the man who killed him. There's enough suffering to go around. It is boundless, it is bottomless, and that can be staggering unless we also realize that there's enough compassion to go around. For ourselves and for others, there is no need to be stingy. It is free. You can sprinkle that shit everywhere. When we say about our own stories, this doesn't compare. We've already made a comparison. And in that comparison, we lose compassion for ourselves and for other people. You're right in that it doesn't compare. Because it doesn't need to. If you are waiting for a permission slip to feel things, to feel complicated things... All at once, here it is. You are allowed to feel a lot of things, even if they seem to contradict each other. You can be sad about a lot of things. You can be happy about good things, even while you're sad about terrible things. You are allowed to be wounded by arrows, and you're allowed to be proud of every mountain you climb. You are not obligated to qualify or justify. You are not obligated to minimize.
My personal patron saint, Anne Lamott, is a writer who has also been through her share of awful, terrible things. And she has said that we are here to walk each other home. We are here to bear witness for one another, to lend a steady arm when we see someone slipping, a hand when we see them fall. That's what this show aims to be, for me and you and all of us, a way for us to walk one another home. This is not the first official bummer Olympics. This is not a competition to see whose troubles can beat up whose troubles. It's not a game of who has it worse. Nobody really wants to win that game anyway. So, if you have a story, and we really do want to hear your story, send it to us in all its glory. You can email us at ttfa at americanpublicmedia.org. And you can tell someone about our show. In fact, you can subscribe them to it. Just take their phone out of their hands while they're trying to show you a picture on Instagram. Double tap whatever they're showing you. Open up the app that says podcast. Hit the button. And while you're up in there, subscribe them to something else that's awesome. Whatever you think that is. Because an astonishing number of people have never listened to a podcast. And we think they should. When you're done commandeering the electronics of your friends and loved ones, tell us what you sign them up for on social media. Tag it hashtag tripod with a T-R-Y. Like T-R-Y pod. Get it? Okay. Anyway, you can also get our newsletter at our website, ttfa.org. We'll be giving updates on season two there. We also have a terrible club for you to join. That is what we named it, the Terrible Club. You can join at ttfa.org by clicking on Give Now. In the coming weeks, we're going to be launching a super secret hideout. It's a Facebook group where you can connect with other people who know what it's like to go through the terrible stuff or just to listen to the podcast. And we have t-shirts, super sweet t-shirts, but only for club members. It's how you know, like you see someone wearing that t-shirt, you know they're in the club. We're working on season two. This is what we want to be able to do. All of this, we want to do it forever. Is that too long? We want to do this forever. We want to walk each other home. Terrible Things for Asking is produced by Hans Butow. Our theme song is by Joffrey Wilson. TTFA is a production of APM. So many acronyms. That one stands for American Public Media. (laughs) ¶¶